So we are in a series called Raise Life. Every single Eastertide, which is the season that we're in that Jocelyn set us up for, we talk about the implications uh, of the resurrection. And there's all sorts of different ways that you can do that. Uh, Last year, we talked about all the different accounts of when Jesus rose from the dead and the ways in which he interacted with his first followers. In years past, we've looked at what are some of the markers of the, the kingdom of God, which is a phrase we say a lot around there, around here. Uh, if you're brand new to the scriptures and, and Christian thought, one way to, to think about that is simply like the life of heaven here and now. Or you can just take the word apart, a kingdom. So it's like the dome where, where things are as they're supposed to be, at least as followers of Jesus that we think. This is where the king's reign happens. Um, I make this joke at least twice a month. If you know the Radiohead song, Everything in Its Right Place, that song is not, well, it's not the kingdom of God, but that phrase is, is helpful. Actually, that song will probably be playing. I like to think if there's a literal ascension, that song will be playing as I'm going up. <laughs> Everything. Um, the, uh, the idea that this is a, a, a place where there, God's, God's world is breaking through right now in the midst of this one. This is what we believe when we talk about the implications of the resurrection. The scriptures use all of this language, like the first fruits of new creation. It's a way of saying like the, the way of heaven, this world being put back together started there. Something significantly shifted, right? We, we now know the fullness of what God is, is like in Jesus. That's what we believe as followers of Jesus. If you want to know what spirituality and love and, and God, if you use that word, looks like, it's, it's in Jesus, and that Jesus is inaugurating a new kingdom. So as followers of Jesus, that's why, um, you know, some of you may pledge allegiance to the U.S., that's, that's great. Um, but we, our first allegiance is to the kingdom of God if you're a follower of Jesus. So it starts there. Everything starts there. It's where it begins. That's where our allegiance is. That's where our king is. So we take our, our, our cues there. And so... This Eastertide, we wanted to talk a little bit about the fruits of the Spirit. Anyone ever heard of the fruits of the Spirit? <laughs> Give a shout out to the fruits. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love more talking back. <laughs> My favorite. You know there's some communities here, been in churches, or maybe some of you who just wooted have been from those kind of churches, where it's like you just say anything, like it doesn't really matter as long as I emphatically say it. Dell's Lemonade, can I get an A? They respond. I mean, Dell's Lemonade, to be fair, is worth, <laughs> worth, worth rejoicing over. I just, I love that. I didn't come from that tradition, and I love it when I encounter it. It makes me feel great. Um, the fruits of the Spirit. I just had two people pray, pray over me, like Andrew wouldn't get distracted and he would stick to his notes. <laughs> Already failing at that, Lord have mercy. What this writer in the New Testament is doing, and we're going to read this passage in a moment, is he saying, when, when you begin to sum, submit to the kingship of Jesus, and you begin to live underneath his kind of rule and reign, when you begin to say that's where the life is, right? Because everyone is following away. Everyone is following away. Everyone believes something. Everyone has an idea that they've constructed and taped and duct taped together about how they make sense of the world and redemption and brokenness and evil and human nature and some of it's called from religion and spirituality. You don't even know where it's called from. It's just like in the ether. Everyone has a story and everyone has faith 
And it helps, we kind of need that in some sense to make sense of the world around us. And so as followers of Jesus, we're simply saying, well, the Jesus way, we believe is the best possible way to live. And when you begin to live that way, fruit begins to pop out. It's like when you plant that seed in that soil, this is what you're gonna get. You're gonna start to get things like, and let's read this passage together. So Galatians, if you would put that up on the screen. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the, no, not this passage. Sorry, go back. In the word section, fruits of the spirit. Nope, back. I'll just pull it up in my Bible. In the word section there. Word, you got it. Pat Brown, everybody. Give it up for Pat. Patty B. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, such things, there is no law. Right? So forbearance, this is what we're going to talk about today. For the next six weeks, we're going to pick some of um, the ones that we've never preached on or often don't dive into. Forbearance is essentially, is, is patience, sort of, mostly. That when you begin to walk the way of Jesus, when you begin to submit yourself to this, when you begin to trust that you are loved exactly where you're at, that you don't need to fear death, that he's, he's king, and that the life of heaven is available to you, something begins to happen, some fruit begins to give birth in you, begins to come out, and then you can begin to cultivate that. So what does it mean to cultivate today? We're gonna to talk about patience. And so probably the best way to get at patience is this. Uh, anyone have a short temper? I love that some people were super honest and threw their hand up. How many of you don't have a short temper? So it's everybody in the middle that actually has a short temper. <laughs> no. So one way to talk about forbearance, if we had a word for long temper, that would be probably the closest we would get. If we had a word for, oh, you have a really long temper. Like no one says that. But that's essentially what Paul is getting at. And it's what we see in the very character of God that we're gonna talk about in just a moment. To be patient is to be long-tempered. Now I was thinking about the noun, like patient. For those of you in med school, for those of you who are doctors, nurses, or in the medical profession, um, in the, in the English, it's not only a character trait, right? But it's to be under the care of the doctor. And where that came from was actually in the Middle Ages. Anyone suffering patiently was a patient. So if you were just there and you're suffering patiently, you were called a patient, which kind of makes sense, right? When you go into the dentist's office, the doctor's office, and you're sitting there and your mouth is on fire, or you're running to the bathroom every 10 seconds, or whatever it is, right? It's sort of like, oh, this is my, my patient, patiently suffering. This is where the word comes from. So what being patient, the act of being patient and being a patient have in common is that both require that a person come to terms, and hear this, with yielding. They come to terms with yielding control to another person. Patience is about yielding control. I'd never thought about it that way until recently. It's saying, okay, 
okay. It's not just that you are the actor in your life. It's acknowledging this very difficult but real thing that you are always being also acted upon. Some of you know this more than others right now. It's not just that you are the one who like makes your destiny. You are being acted upon by all sorts of different things. So in our culture, patience is not, a virtu- is not um, as virtuous in our world as something like productivity. And these two things tend to be a bit at odds with one another. Productivity, right? So I want to define this as a quantifiable amount of work achieved during a specified length of time. The more work per unit of time, the greater the productivity. And so once, um, and I think this is true in our culture, once productivity is regarded as a sort of benchmark for your self-worth, the question that always follows is what do you have to show for your time? What do you have to show for your time? And we need that answer to this question to have some tangible answers. We so often need a paycheck or a grade or a meal And when there seems like there's nothing to show for it, I think it creates this internal mess. There's a quote from this book that um, Pastor uh, Rick and Sarah and I have been going through on the fruits of the Spirit. And and it has this little excerpt about this and and how it hits home, especially with folks that are stay-at-home parents. It says, many stay-at-home parents experience enormous frustration functioning within a system that validates only that work that is visibly productive and tangibly compensated. What messages does our culture send such a parent about the value of their time and hence even themselves? Are such people, quote unquote, wasting uh, their time by, quote, spending it on such things as stacking blocks with their children? reading them books or changing their diapers? What, after all, do they have to show for it at the end of the day? The fact that most of us, myself included, suspect that devoting ourselves fully to such unproductive work would have devastating effects on our sense of self-worth. It says something profound about how thoroughly most of us have internalized our culture's views about time and productivity. I think that last phrase... Any amen from the stay-at-home parents on that one? Right? It's a a challenge. It's a battle. It's a battle. I I was talking to to Rachel, somebody in our community who's a stay-at-home parent, about this a couple days ago. And she's listened to that and just went, yep, yep. It's a constant battle because there's something that we've internalized. I think it comes out in that scenario. But I think for all of us, it's like, am I really being productive? And do I have something to show for at the end of the day? I love my father-in-law. Love, love my father-in-law. Love my father-in-law. Is that on the record, on the video? Hey, Harry, love you, buddy. There's no butt coming. It's just it's this interesting thing <laughs> that he does. And I've noticed it only because I've noticed it in my wife as well. And it makes me then feel um, a bit lazy. Is that there's really like downtime has to kind of be productive downtime. And so we're going to go and uh, I'm like the only or up until recently I was the only son-in-law in the house. And so uh, I would be the one that would kind of tap in. I know this is so like gender stereotypical. It's just whatever. It's just real in their family. I like sports. He likes sports. His daughters don't like sports. Just happens to work out that way. Calm down. So <laughs> we, we watch sports together. That's like one way we bond. 
I know, so typical. And yet, even there, I'm like, you're just in, it's just the game. We're watching the game. It's the joy of, like, high fives and no and popcorn and nachos, whatever it is. But no, there's got to always be something else going on. Shining shoes, doing a little, like, taxes on the side. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And so it can be easy for me to go, oh, that's just you're not being fully present. But I realized that there is, uh, he's not alone, or my wife is not alone in this. It's the, and I realize sometimes for me, it's just like I'm just reacting and like I just, I'm just lazy sometimes. I just don't want to engage. But, but the fact is, is that we have internalized a, a sort of value system around what it really means to be productive. What could be worse than doing nothing? Which is often what being patient sort of seems to entail. We pride ourselves on our busyness. We need to be people of action who are constantly productive and incessantly busy. This even shows up at church. Our fixation with productivity, I think, instills in us a deep sense of impatience uh, that might be responsible for sometimes for our lack of joy in things like, um, I don't know, like worship. Like, do I really have like, time to do this? Is this really a productive use of time? It's my least favorite part of the service, not just because I like, don't like music, like who doesn't like music, but it's just, uh, it's just, why? Why are we even bothering to do this? Which leads to an interesting thing, is like, do we really have time for each other? Do we have time for, these, uh, for those among us who are an incredible drain on our time and energies? Because patience, as we're going to see in a moment when we look at the character of God, always has a purpose. Patience is directed somewhere. Patience has a, a purpose and it has a, patience has an object to it. And in the scriptures, we see over and over patience is for someone and for the benefit of the community I've been so alarmed by, um, I, I mean, I, some of the lifestyle enhancement stuff out there is great. I'm all about, like, how can you, you know, better organize your schedule, and how can you think better about that? How can you feng shui your home and whatever? Like, the thing is right now, like, I, I, I truly, I, I'm being facetious when I'm mocking. I, I've benefited from people's, like, pro tips on how to, like, live parts of your life a little better. But there's this one that is just so antithetical to the way of Jesus, like, it needs to be called out. But don't surround yourself with negative people. I just, I humbly submit to you that I, I get that boundaries can be good, but boundaries don't equal exclusion. We're followers of Jesus. That's who you should have the most time for. Awake and aware of the folks around you that are in need of the blessing and peace and goodness of God, can I get an amen? That requires patience. Do we have time for each other? Do we have time for each other? It's, it's almost like one writer says this, we've been given the freedom to devote ourselves to one another, even, what comes, even if what comes of it cannot be measured in any tangible way. It's like the cult of productivity has chipped away at our freedom to be involved with others in ways that may seem unproductive. That's not really productive use of time. We've got to hurry that meeting up. We don't have any margin in our lives for those around us. And so when I call it the cult of productivity, that's just not me being a, trying to find a pithy preacher phrase. I think there's literally something that we have internalized 
that is very cultish in nature about what it means to be productive and to use our time, quote unquote, efficiently. Because patience is about, in so many ways, waiting. Waiting means slowing down. It means slowing down. And in the modern sense, it will look like what we've internalized as wasting time. That's why most of us don't Sabbath. It feels like a waste of time. We don't stop. We're going to put our phone away. It's a waste of time. Going for a bike ride. Waste of time. Being still. Taking time in the morning to be with God. It can be a, feel like a waste of time. We don't see some sort of immediate results. That's why I think for me, the situations where I'm forced to wait bring out the worst in me. Anyone else? They bring out the worst in me. There's a, um, for those of you who are in home groups, there's a spiritual discipline that we wrote up this week. And one of them, it's gonna sound so simple. You're gonna read it and be like, that's kind of lame. But it's like, I, I've convinced spiritual practice. All week, find the longest line to, to, to stand in. Find the slowest lane of traffic to drive in. Right? It's just a, a, a practice. We made that like a spiritual discipline. All right, we're going to call the Pope and see if we can get that grafted into the canon. Like, I think it's a powerful practice. I'm just going to choose to then be aware of how fast I'm moving. How I have no time to process. There's a lot of talk out there uh, about boredom. A lot of people have done some writing on this, not just Christian writers, people have been writing about the importance of boredom because we have our phone on us all the time. We're almost never bored, which is a bad thing because we don't have time to process and truly deal with the things that we've internalized. We just kind of keep going and everything keeps flashing and we keep moving. We are all about quick fixes and we have no patience for the long haul. I think many of us struggle with the idea of process process, which is what, right, any of you drink wine or whiskey, it's what good wine and whiskey needs, is process, it needs time, you can't fast track it, like, if you've ever had, like, yeah, there's a reason why you can't just walk up to a grape and, like, squirt the juice into a cup and wait 24 hours and be like, hmm, delicious, Merlot, like, no, it doesn't work that way, growth doesn't happen overnight. We've come to believe that the desired results then are all that matters, not realizing that the process is what helps us get to those desired results well. One last observation. If a machine, right, can make a chair faster than a person, then we should just have machines make that. If a student hoping to go to med school is saying, look, well, should I take what appears to be the quickest and surest route, even if it means snubbing personal relationships while I bury my head in my books, or should I be concerned about the kind of person that I'm becoming, like, we don't often ask those kinds of questions. We don't ask, like, is the quality of that chair, the quality of that shirt, well. And if you watch Parks and Rec, this is the Ron Swanson effect. Slow down. Be present. It's the quality of the thing. With the, with the med student, I just wrote that little example out thinking, like, how many of us ask questions of our character along the way? It's going to cause me to not have any person. This is why I love, can I just applaud really quick? Many of the, of the in particular, just because I've been talking to many of you recently, the brown medical students that are in this church, they're the ones who are, some down in Kid City, serving on the music team, making sure that they can show up and sit through a, a, just an hour and a half service. Sometimes it probably feels like a waste of time. You have so much to do. 
I know it's true for a lot of students, but I, I want to just like applaud the Brown Med students for a moment. Like you are making a choice to say who I'm becoming as a follower of Jesus is vital. And relationships are vital. When the RISD home group started, I just looked around and went, you guys have no time to do this. How on earth are you doing this? Like we have to do it. That was the response for many of them. We have to do it. Like our souls are at at risk here. So let's talk about patience. It's roots in God's character. It's roots in God's character. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Psalm 103.8. Psalm 1038. There's this verse that is repeated over and over and over and over. It is the most quoted verse. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Exodus 34 6. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love. In love. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The list goes on. God's patience, his slowness of anger represents something that is funny to talk about when we talk about God, but it is a yielding of control. It can feel a little odd or uncomfortable to talk about that. The idea that God is patient is easy to accept, but I think the idea that God yields some sort of control may be a little bit harder. But creation itself, remember, God created space for us, for all of creation, and created the opportunity for it to go its own way because God is a God of love and not going to dictate, not going to climb inside your mind. We are not robots. We have been given the opportunity to be engaged in love, and love can only exist where there is choice. Just like parents who realize that their kids are not just extensions of themselves. I'm beginning to realize this with my four-year-old who I realize now has a will and has opinions and has ideas. Whereas my one-year-old, I can still pretty much control that. They're able to go their own way, although not my one-year-old. We can also look at the way that God is not in a hurry. God doesn't coerce us. God doesn't force his hand. He waits for us. If God is love, we're told in scripture, God is love, then we read in 1 Corinthians 13, four to five, that God's love is patient and it's, quote, doesn't insist on its own way. God, God's love, his character doesn't insist on its own way. God does not coerce. And then, of course, there's the cross. This is where so much of the character of God is revealed. This is a long temper. God does not have a short temper. God hanging on the cross on our behalf. It's as though God is willing to do without short-term control for long-term purposes. It's as if God is willing to do without short-term control for long-term wine. For example, listen to this. Peter shows us the intimate connection between God's patience and repentance. 2 Peter 3, 8 to 9 and verse 14. This will be on the screen. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. That brings me such comfort. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. You think he's being slow, but he's not. No, no, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Anyone need to hear that word today? 
God did not wanting anyone to perish. God desires everyone to know him. Which raises interesting questions like, does God get what God wants? Different sermon. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So then, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things, now Peter's talking about what you're waiting for redemption. You're waiting for healing. You're waiting for the, the kingdom to fully come. It's the same ache that you feel. While you're waiting for stuff to be made right, maybe you're in a place right now where everything is falling apart. You are, you are more confused and hurt and beaten down than ever before. And you're waiting for these things. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. In other words, like don't deviate from the path. That's where the life is. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Think of the patience of who God is as actually salvation. His patience is actually good. Because it's not that God doesn't get angry. We wouldn't want that. A God that doesn't get angry with the genocide and evil and brokenness and violence and rape that we see in the world today. We don't want a God like that, right? Sometimes when God are like, oh, I don't like a God that's wrathful. I don't like that wrathful God. No, trust me, you do. But that's where we have to then own that we have violence inside our own heart. And so God's patience is salvation for us. God desires, he's seeding control, waiting for those who would truly say yes to say yes to his love and own who God says that they already are. God is slow to anger, slow to anger. Paul reminds them, just to hit this point home in Romans 2.4, Paul reminds them that these Christians do not show, um, don't show contempt for the riches of his kindness and his, and his patience. He tells them that they need to realize that God's kindness is intended to lead them to repentance. In other words, God's kindness and his patience, his forbearance, is what helps lead us into wanting to change. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you need to get it. You need to get it. You can't have someone just like tell you. It's why I'm convinced the best parenting thing, and I know already I'm gonna just be awful at this, but I'm trying, is like... If I could just tell you the right answer and get mad at you and try to get you to change right now, or I could just sort of, you just sort of get this. I think I've told this story before, but one of the epic stories in my household was my father who would, um, got really, uh, my mom would get really frustrated at my dad because he would not kind of shout down my sister, who I think was 16 at the time. Give it up for 16-year-olds. Yeah, anyone got some 16-year-olds in the house? Give it up for hormones. So she's 16, and she's coming home, and she gets super upset with my mom and would fly off the handle. She is a bit short-tempered sometimes. Love you, sister. Catherine, I love you. Just keep talking into the camera. So my sister um, would come home, and she one day said something that was not so great to my mom, calling her a particular word that rhymes with itch. And so, oh, my gosh. And so you... She, my mom got so frustrated that my dad did not like come just like blazing at my sister. And so we found out like years later why in a lot of those scenarios my dad was just so soft. We just used to, I would get mad at my dad. Like, dad, you're not being a strong enough parent and you're letting, making mom have to do all the work with that. And my dad just pulled this out. My dad's got a little kind of like Jedi thing going on in these moments. And he just sort of just sits quietly at the table as he's hearing us like just laugh about this years later. And he just goes, I just always knew that the next morning 
my mom and my sister would be on the couch crying, saying I'm sorry, and my sister would realize what she did and she would own it. There was like a little bit of that like godly patience and forbearance in that moment where it was like, I can definitely come down with the wrath of a thousand sons, you calling my wife that. But there was a bit of like, I, I, I actually think that you know what you did was awful. And when I can come back around and have a conversation with you about that, when you've had time to own that and see that, it produces a different kind of change. God's patience has a purpose, and that purpose is us. That purpose, the object of his patience is us. It's always patience for the sake of others. It's patience for others. This isn't just about resignation Right, which is about just not being disturbed by things. This is a patience. It isn't just about how do you just live a more peaceable life. It's a patience that is for others. It's active. It's a patience that endures all things. It's a patience that brings peace, we see in the scriptures. It brings peace. Love forgives, and you need patience in order to forgive. God's primary characteristic, right, is love, and God forgives over and over and over. And the characteristics you need for love and forgiveness and for peacemaking is patience because you cannot force or coerce peace. can't force or coerce peace. We see this every time we try to return violence with violence in our country and in our world. So just as the forgiveness of God leads us to forgiveness and the love of God leads us to love, it is the patience of God that leads us into patience. So turn with me to Matthew 18, 21 to 35. This is a story uh, that could be called the unmerciful servant, the unforgiving servant. I wanna rename it today called the, the impatient servant. Just to kind of put an exclamation point on this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Be patient with me. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant, it's like, do you realize the debt that you owe? You realize how bad you've handled things. I'm glad you realize and own this. It gives me permission to let you go. You see the heart of the father. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. You know where the story's going. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. The same words, be patient with me. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. 
Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he had owned. This gets a little brutal. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We like the wrath of God when it's against the violence and evil in our world when it addresses the evil in our own hearts and our propensity to choose impatience and choose lack of forgiveness and lack of love and lack of life. There are just a reality of consequences where we'll find ourselves in the way of death. God forgives with the expectation that we will do likewise. It's not just for our benefit. God breaks the cycle of vengeance and only by patiently forgiving one another do we have any hope that our community will, will be a place of peace. The early church writers in the, uh, connect patience with practice of bearing with one another. Patience is like, I'm, just, I'm gonna bear with you. Right, you ever said that to someone else? Hey, will you bear with me for a minute? That's literally the thing I say internally every time I get up to preach. Okay, congregation, would you bear with me for a moment? <laughs> Hold up, will you just be patient? Will you just seed, seed distraction? Seed walking out for a moment. Bear with me for just a moment. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Real quick, I know for a fact that word is for some folks right now. Not just because it's like the word of God. Like I, I literally know there are some folks who have not done all that they could to make the bond of peace. And you have allowed folks to leave this congregation. You've allowed folks to leave your family. You've, you, you have not stepped up and made peace and not been patient with those that inconvenience you and hurt you. This is the way of the Lord. To make peace with one another. I, 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 I know that there's a caveat of don't, if, if he hurts you, he committed violence against you, like you need boundaries. You can forgive from a distance. Forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. I wanna make sure that that asterisk is out there. But for most of us and most of the situations we come across, we are too quick to go, yeah, well, they were just sort of negative and I don't have to deal with that and, I'm, and I walk. Patience, clothe yourselves with patience, Colossians 3 says. Bear with, one, bear with one another. Forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. You must forgive each other. God is patient. So yeah, yeah, you. When you see the character of God and the patience that he has for us, the kindness that he has for us, how could we not? Imagine. Imagine with me a bunch of people walking around our city believing that God of the universe has been patient with them, believing that the best possible way to live is a way that is in response to having been showed immeasurable patience and immeasurable forgiveness. Imagine what that would do to a city. Patience has a purpose and it's for others. Imagine what that would do for our community. It begins to make sense of verses when Jesus says, the way the world will know who I am is that you are all one like God and the mysterious Trinity are one, right? 
Kind of makes sense a little bit now more. Imagine people walking into the space and it's not that people won't disagree, be upset. It's not that there aren't a bunch of hypocrites. There aren't a bunch of messed up people in this church that we're gonna screw it up all the time. That's known. That's known because like it's in the Bible, it's in the Bible, it's in our shared experience. But be patient with one another. When the world begins to see this, the world, those outside, maybe you're here and you're visiting, you're not a part of our community. Man, I would hope that you would be able to somehow peer in looking at a home group or going over folks' house for dinner or seeing them at brunch or, or hearing the stories that exist within our community of, wow, that is a very diverse, very different group of people. And there's a whole lot of reasons that that group would not get along or be at peace with one another. That kind of conflict, oh, that's what breaks up friendships and then they never talk again. That kind of thing doesn't happen in a church. We've been so patient with one another. We pursue peace at all costs. We lay down our life for each other. So how do we cultivate it? And here. First, if you're taking notes, we cultivate patience by remembering our story. Remembering, if you're a follower of Jesus, our story. Jesus, uh, God takes his people into the wilderness to teach them about trust. 40 years Jesus takes 30 years in obscurity before we hear anything about him. There's a process. We remember our story. One writer says, we have a God who moves at a walking pace. We have a three-mile-an-hour God. Because love takes time, and you got to go slow if you're going to love. That's what God does. He, sit, he takes his time walking around, seeing people, story after story of seeing people. There's so many passages and stories where Jesus turns to his disciples and he goes, do you see her, Peter? Do you see the prostitute? Do you see her? It's a bigger question than like, do you literally see her? He sees people. And we can't see people and we can't heal and we can't have our lives interrupted if we don't make space to have it interrupted. We need to cede control to not be in a hurry to be people of patience. There's something liberating about remembering that God isn't in a hurry. I find liberating. Maybe some of you, that gives you anxiety. There's a process. We look at time a bit different. When you know the end, when you know God's gonna put it all back together, it can change your sense of I need to control everything right now. It doesn't preclude us from being engaged in the atrocities and the brokenness of our day right? Any farmer who's planting is, is there weeding things out and making sure things is watered and paying attention to the fruit that's coming. But there's still an act of patience where the farmer can't make the stock of corn grow any, really, any faster. We have to remember that with the end in mind that we know God is putting things back together, it can give us a patience and cause us to slow down. We also have a freedom, right? That it's just not all up to you. And we can view time as a gift. Remember, because we don't have to justify ourselves. We don't have to justify ourselves. God's done that for us. So when we come to the table, I'm gonna invite the, the band and the servers up. We come, we, we at Sanctuary, we, we always land our service and ground it, not in the sermon, but in the Eucharist, in this meal that, that Jesus gives us. He says, do this in remembrance of, of me. We, we cultivate patience. I bring the patience at, to the communion table today because we are reminded that we don't have to justify ourselves. We don't have to earn anything. We have been so loved. God so loved Providence. God so loved you. 
Jay, God so loved you, Katie. God so loved you, Brad. God so loved you, Jocelyn. God so loved you. At the table, we're reminded of this great love and the great patience of God for our salvation. See, there's something in me at least that when I go and I take the bread and I dip it in the cup, I was thinking about this. I slow down and hear the words of the greeters, of the servers, like Christ's body broken, blood poured out for you. Or sometimes, right, we like to say just cheers. Cheers, you are loved. So we take that and, we, and, I, and I take that bread and put it to my lips. I'm reminded of the great patience and forgiveness and peace that follows me all the days of my life. As the scriptures say, surely love goodness, your peace and kindness will follow me. Follow me. And we remember that at this table. We remember that. And I pray if you're here as a follower of Jesus, that just remembering the story and the way that we reclaim the time, that that would begin to just cultivate deep patience in our bones Deep patience for others, deep patience for our spouse and for our, our children. We begin to then ask the real like specific questions around like, where do I need to carve this out? I need to take a Sabbath. Andrew keeps saying, I need to take a Sabbath. I don't really care what he says, but I'm beginning to realize there might be just an ounce of truth to it. <laughs> I need to stop and turn everything off. I need to wait. I need to wait. I need to be still, I need to wait. So I pray as we come to the table that God would one, make deposits in your heart of who you need to be patient with. I pray that you would experience like a fundamental shift in your thinking and in your heart and in your psyche today that would reorient you towards the God of patience and kindness and mercy and love. pray that God would warm you as you stand up for a few minutes. And then I want to say this last thing. We, um, we're going to close the service in singing, and I'm going to give a benediction. And then right after, we have the Grow Track. So if you're coming for week two of Grow Track, or you just would like to know more about our church, just come meet us in the balcony. But I say that, and that um, I think sometimes some of us, and I've seen this a few times, and no judgment, just calling it out. People sometimes race out, like they take communion, and then they just jet. I just want to encourage you, unless you really have to do that, like just, just wait. Maybe that today is your, your, your practice. Just, just wait today, like two more minutes and be still and allow whatever God's doing in your heart to really take hold. Pull out a notebook, pull out your phone. Like what, what do I need? What is the next thing? And then I encourage you, if you're not a part of a home group, come this week. Make this week your first week to come. There's all sorts of practices that we're gonna be doing to help cultivate this. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the table, I pray, Lord, that you open our eyes, Lord, to see your character in greater and more profound ways. We would, we would experience in some mysterious way and just this simple act of taking a piece of bread and dipping it in a cup, that this just ancient practice of remembering your body broken, the 
bread and your blood poured out of the cup. Uh, that, that all of the love and patience and kindness that exists in what is, what is being uh, pictured for us, that we would just experience that in a new way today. And Lord, I'm, I can't but be reminded now that you say, before you come to the table, before you come and take the bread and the cup, if you have any issue with somebody else, if there's someone you haven't made peace with, don't take communion. Stop. Go. Make a call. Send a text. You don't say make a call, send a text, Lord, but we're going to have some freedom with the text there. <laughs> engage. Engage those that there is just discord and disconnect, and you know that you could re-engage in being patient and making peace, Lord, with those around you. I pray that you do that. Lord, I ask your spirit just fall on us in a mysterious and beautiful way today as we come to the table and as we close in singing. In your name we pray.